Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Moss and Friends. In today's episode, we talk about everything maternity care with Alexis Commodore of BirthX. Alexis founded BirthX in January of 2020 to combat the inequities and obstetric violence she witnessed as a nurse and full-spectrum doula. We hope you enjoy. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Moss and Friends. Today, I'm super, super excited for our guest, Alexis Commodore. She is the founder of BirthX. We met Alexis through Alpha uh, via our colleague Josephine, you know, who reached out. And late last year, we worked on a UX research project with her team and, you know, just have kept in touch since then. I recently got to see you, meet you in real life at the San Diego Prego Expo, which was amazing to see. And yeah, do you want to add some more to that? Sure. I, I, you know, I feel like you met me right in the the middle of a big moment of BirthX's journey. Um, I was pretty lost at that point. I was working with someone who wasn't giving me the type of movement and work that I was hoping for. And I, you know, I never been my, I never been a boss before. I never had, you know, people, employees and contractors. And so you were wonderful and like guiding me and being like, this is your project. You can say like, this is not what you want. And like, here's some tips. And yeah, so it was a, yeah, you met me at such a transitional moment. And I feel like I've come on the other end of that now. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like, you know, when we look back and just kind of see the progress, even through, like on the website and when we chatted at the expo, it's just so amazing to see like how much movement BirthX has done um, since we worked with you. So like, congratulations on that. Like, absolutely wonderful. So today we're talking with Alexis, aside from knowing her and working uh, with her team uh, previously, uh, the birthing experience in general within the healthcare system is just unspoken of for the most part. And the visibility that BirthX brings to the space while putting that birthing person in the driver's seat uh, was something that we absolutely loved and were excited to collaborate with. Also, just knowledge around being an advocate for oneself. I mean, many of you might not, not know, like I'm currently pregnant myself. I'm 20 weeks along, halfway there. And just the knowledge I got from Alexis and her team while working on the project and learning more has been completely useful in while I've been going through the process as well. So just being able to have that advocacy with the knowledge and the resources that the BirthX team like provides uh, for birthing individuals is amazing. And just like the mission statement, to facilitate change in the birth culture in the United States through transparency, accountability, and education. You know, change is needed and the way that the mission statement sums it up is what we need in order to break down those barriers and how birth is perceived. So with that, please share with our listeners about BirthX. Like, what's the story behind it and what's been the journey like? Oddly enough, I didn't start my, I I was a nurse first. That was the first kind of like step in my career. And I didn't start out in maternity care at all. I started in a totally different avenue of healthcare. Um, I was a pediatric ER nurse and I was a travel nurse, but a lot of the same stuff that I saw in terms of patients not being 
able to advocate for themselves or parents not knowing how to advocate for the children showed up in every hospital that I worked at. And I worked at over 10 hospitals. And then at some point I was getting ready to transition specialties just because I felt like I had a good knowledge base and I wanted to transition into labor and delivery. And when it came time to do that, my friends basically said, I think there's a lot going on in maternity care that you would not agree with. And so maybe you should educate yourself on what's going on and decide whether it's a good decision. But there are this, there is this other role called a doula and you might wanna look into that. That might be more aligned with like your belief system on what, you know, what patients deserve and, and how, how we advocate for them, how we allow them to um, navigate the system. And really, I realized that for most pregnant people, their first encounter with the healthcare system is being pregnant. And so this is such a beautiful opportunity for people to learn how to navigate it in a way that speaks to what they, they want the experience to be. And then it gives them the tools to move forward with that information, right? Like this, again, this is, might not be the first time you ever encountered the healthcare system. You might have to bring your child to the ER. You might have a dying parent someday. You might have a spouse who is in the hospital and, and you need to know how to navigate the system and what is allowed, what your rights are. And it's just, I'd say even the, you know, the last hundred years, we've really transitioned from a medical system where we, we just did whatever the doctor said right? We, there was no, we had very little autonomy. We, we, and like in some, in some instances, yes, you, you do want to take the medical recommendations of your provider, but at the end of the day, it's your body. So, you know, you should be getting a full list of choices, you know, with lots of information. So you can make a decision that reflects what you want to happen to your body. And so that's really like what BirthX came out of initially, but before I really thought that I was, it was even possible to come run a startup from going from a nurse to knowing nothing about tech to running a business to then making it a tech startup was a journey itself. But really what inspired me was when my dad passed away, I had no idea what he really worked on. I knew he was an attorney at the Boston Housing Authority and that's really it until his memorial service. And I had all these people come up to me and talk about his advocacy work or fair housing in the city of Boston. And actually this winter, they had uh, the mayor, Mayor Wu pass an executive order in his honor to, with a plan to address um, his notes and his, his fair housing assessment. And so, I mean, really I, in that moment, I kind of was like, what's my legacy gonna be like, you know, it's, I think at that point I was struggling with nursing because it was feeling like, it wasn't reflecting how I wanted patients to be treated. And as much as I could be an advocate, advocate sometimes, I couldn't always be an advocate. You just can't be everywhere at once. And sometimes there are just rules and policies in place where you can't say specific things or do specific things. And so I struggled with that. And it was just not aligning with who I, who I wanted to be in terms of my career goals anymore. And so really this gave me the courage, you know, like my dad left me a little bit of inheritance and I said, okay, I'm going to, you know, walk away from my job and I'm going to try to see if I can build this thing from scratch, <laughs> um, having no instructions. <laughs> that was the hardest part. No instructions. It would have been nice to have <laughs> a booklet, a guide. <laughs> um, you know, I think there were a lot of mistakes that I made in the beginning and I've learned so much. 
And even like, I'd say the biggest lesson of like the work-life balance has been life-changing in itself. (laughs) Oh yeah, definitely needed when, you know, you're starting something from the ground up and you're learning while you're at it as well. And that was honestly one of the, you know, best things like working with you is just like your curiosity and wanting to learn more and like truly be involved through the process. It just showed us, you know, how much care you have for what you're building for, for others. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what is BirthX for those that sure. don't, do not know? Yeah. So, you know, I, my little spiel on it is that it's a digital platform um, creating more accountability and transparency in maternity care. But the way that we're doing that is with two different products. And so it originally started off as just being a maternal health care review platform. And we have, you know, we have a prototype, we have our wireframes now, everything is done. But um, because I decided to build a lot of the tech myself now, as opposed to hiring out, I decided it would be best to start with our chatbot, which is um, texting um, chatbot. It does have some AI involved in it and how it works is you'll sign up through a form. You'll pick how often you wanna receive text messages and you'll get a, a little snippet of childbirth education, pregnancy education, postpartum education. Um, and you know, whatever number of days that you'd like. So let's say you sign up Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you wanna get a text at 10 a.m., you'll get a text of a little information. The AI portion is that you can respond with questions or you can ask questions at any time of the day um, to get more information. So it's been really cool to, to, to work on this myself. Obviously there's a lot of little details that keep coming up and there are definitely days where I'm ripping out my hair with because of some bugs, but um, it's been really fun. And I felt like our audience specifically wanted this first. And so I, I decided to kind of like pivot our direction for the time being, but it's still very important to me that we have the maternal review, re- maternal healthcare review platform, because there's, there's nothing like this for us to be able to choose our providers and match with a provider that aligns with your belief system, right? Again, like so often people just feel like you have to go with the doctor that's the closest or the one that you've been going to since, you know, your first pap smear or, you know, so-and-so recommended. But at the end of the day, what you should be trying to do is find a provider who aligns with the type of birth experience that you'd like to have. So if, you know, a water birth is on the table for you or a scheduled C-section, like find providers that can do that. And that will be receptive to the type of care that you want to receive. Some, some people really want lots of hands-on, lots of information, lots of involvement from their provider. Some people don't. So it's really just, you know, again, this is a personal preference. And the thing about birth and being pregnant is you don't do it that often. <laughs> and it's going to be something that you remember for a very long time. You know, like women and birthing people have very vivid memories of their birth experience. And that's because it's an emotionally charged event, right? Meeting your child is a, a, a emotional, emotional day. So definitely. Yeah. And like, just even going through that, like, I remember when we were talking to a bunch of like, um, postpartum and, you know, currently pregnant birthing people and just, jotting down the notes, writing everything that they've been hearing, and then like kind of living through it right now is like so interesting because a lot of it was just like, I remember when somebody told me about this, you know? So honestly, the moment I found out I was pregnant, I was like, I need a doula for sure. Like 100%. That was like one of the huge things that I like took away from working with your team. And I'm so glad I got one because 
the system is just very, very focused on you're a ticket number, like go, 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 go. And especially if you're in a practice that's like rotating uh, OBGYNs and stuff like that, like the one that I'm at, you're not sure who you're going to get, you know? So it's even hard to develop that relationship. So having that support and somebody who's going to be there and be able to advocate for what your birth plan is and everything is like so huge. I want to be caught off guard when like, hey, I thought you were going to be at my birth. We've developed this relationship and they are not the, the provider exactly. that shows up, right? Like yep. there has to be this transparency of like, I need to know what to expect because there's already so many unknowns, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Already like going through like, okay, what's the ideal birth plan? If everything goes the way you want, then it's like, how about if there's like an emergency cesarean? Like, what is the route you want to take? There are so many options. I remember when we sat down in our first meeting, I was like writing notes. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Like, (laughs) I need to set this up. I need to set this up. And my husband and I were just like, okay, we got this. We got this. So, you know, when we were first working with you, um, we were talking about the focus with like, you know, the reviews and finding like that uh, specific person. And a huge concept that, you know, came up was just kind of around like those disparities within the maternal health care system. Can you like speak a little bit about that? Sure. So in the long run, like the history of birth, it has a pretty racist history because the rise of obstetrics in itself ended up eradicating black midwives and black indigenous immigrant midwives were the people who who did basically or caught most of the babies in the late 1800s early 1900s and prior and so when this happened like when we transitioned basically from having female local midwives who were not working for a lot of money to birthing in the hospital birthing with providers who were mostly male, white, we saw a huge medicalization of birth in general. And of course, like the rest of healthcare, you know, and like studies have shown that having a provider that looks different than you is going to affect your outcomes just because of ingrained um, white supremacy that all of us kind of like uphold unconsciously, right? And so these health disparities have been such a big topic of conversation because really in the last, I'd say like 20 to 30 years, we've had such an increase in maternal mortality in this country. It's kind of astounding, Um, especially considering like we have, we spend the most money per um, patient, per capita, like we um, have such, you know, we're high resource. So we have access to equipment and, you know, life-saving procedures and technology, yet, you know, a third of our country lives in a maternal desert and can't even access like prenatal care. And so really like, of course, black women are dying at higher rates. I think we really focus on this, but this has been a trend throughout, throughout since we started tracking births. But more importantly, these mortality rates are going up exponentially in the last couple of decades. And it's not getting better. And at the end of the day, it's because of this birth culture that we have. It's most likely over medicalization or unnecessary medicalization causing complications or providers not, you know, clinically being able to assess the patient in front of them because they're not there for very long or, or, you know, a lot of these, these, unfortunately, these, um, this mortality happens in postpartum, right? So we don't even really have great postpartum care. 
you know, I was in Ecuador a few weeks ago, uh, shadowing some indigenous midwives and, um, you know, they're there, they're there like every couple of days for your postpartum care. And for, you know, in the U.S., the standard is a six-week visit. I know there are things that are starting to change that, but it's like, that's just not enough. That is such a vulnerable period of time. So, I mean, there are all these little holes that we've created in kind of like the way that things were done versus the way that they're done now. And again, like at the point when we were doing it, we were we had midwives who were just practicing out of tradition of out of what they were taught, probably just because they learned trial and error, the kind of the same way we're now learning. We just didn't have studies to kind of confirm that, oh, this is evidence-based practice. But I have seen like in the last few years, there are places starting to shift towards evidence-based practice and starting to be more conscious of the policies that they hold, like eating um, is a big one or drinking during labor that I've started to see change a little bit or like walking around, walking around can be really helpful for some people, you know, and if you're strapped onto a continuous monitor and don't need it, then that kind of like inhibits that process. So, yeah. And I think it comes back to that whole of like, you know, having the resources to educate yourself because there's so many things out there and it's like sifting through it and then sifting through opinions. And then like, you know, even from what you're saying with like, moving to practices, moving a little bit more to like these evidence-based like research, you know, ones. Mm -hmm. I personally still question that because the research is usually done on a white birthing person. And it goes back to, I mean, I think you even have uh, that statistic on your website of like, you know, a black or indigenous person of color, their mortality rate is usually three times higher than a white person. Um, and seeing content creators within the black community kind of talking about that. And uh, I recently saw there's actually um, a Hulu documentary talking about the mortality rate within, you know, black birthing individuals. I think it's coming out like in July sometimes. So I'm excited to watch. I think everyone should just to continue to inform themselves. But it goes back to like, is that research being done on those individuals to ensure that that evidence base is applicable to more than just a small a, a group of people, you know? And is it being done from the lens of like the idea that racism has such an effect on the outcome, right? Because the stress mm-hmm. of just being in a racist environment is alone enough to change the outcomes, right? So like I've seen some th- things done on higher monitoring for preeclampsia or remote patient monitoring for blood pressure. And at the end of the day, the, the countries in the world that have great maternal outcomes don't have any of this extra tech. They don't need it. Not to say that they don't have disparities, because I'm sure that they, some of these countries do, particularly racial or ethnic disparities, but more so that for us in this country, it's an entire culture thing. Like our birth culture reflects greater problems in our society. And how do we take the oppressive nature of giving birth in the hospital away. And that applies to being like any category of other, right? Being a black woman, being a trans person, being anything that can be stigmatized can influence how likely you are to kind of be mistreated in birth, right? Mm -hmm. And again, like just to say it one more time, it's just a greater reflection of our society. So like we live in the patriarchy, then of course, as a woman being in the hospital, you're not going to get treated as nicely as if 
you know, you were a man. And this is a uniquely feminine experience, generally speaking. Um, mm -hmm. so. For sure. And how do you see, you know, BirthX evolving um, to be a part of that change? Yeah. I mean, really, we have to change the healthcare system to be patient-centered, and the patients have to ask for that. And so for me, that, that looked like giving the information, giving the resources to make the choices. Because, you know, this comes down to like what my experience was like as a nurse, right? I can't tell you what the right answer is for you. I have no idea, right? People would sometimes ask me like, what would you do in this situation? I don't know, I'm not in your situation. But I can tell you all of the facts. I can tell you what I've seen happen before. I can, you know, I can give you stories. I can give you the statistics. Like I can give you all of the things, but at the end of the day, it's your decision because it's your body and you have to live with the decision. And that's kind of the part where that I wanted people to have that agency again. Um, because I think if we start cultivating space for people to be in control of their own bodies, we have no other choice but to allow them to do that. Because technically it's in your patient rights to do that, but people don't even know that those are their rights. I also think it will help kind of weed out providers who might not be so empathetic, might not be providing clinical, clinically empathetic care. You know, sometimes we're, as providers, we're just burnt out and we just don't know that we're not giving, you know, kind, mm -hmm. respectful care. And other times we just, some people just got into it for the wrong reason. Um, and it's just not one of those fields that where it should be tolerated. Um, you know, sure. you have to be, yeah, you have to respect someone's choice to um, decide what happens to your body. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, we noticed when we were working with you at Moss was, you know, language is such a big thing, like the power of our words and how we say stuff, especially within this field um you hear things like geriatric pregnancy and all of that stuff and a movement to change that but with birth x and i'm sure some of our listeners are no noticing when we're talking about individuals that are expecting we use the term birthing person instead of the typical birthing mother or, or pregnant woman type of thing um can you talk a little bit more about that sure yeah when I became a doula, I found that the communities and circles I was in, we used gender inclusive language. So I meant birthing person, pregnant person, pregnant people. And I know that trans people give birth. I've met them. I, I've yet to have one as a client, like a person who's trans as a client, but they are just as much part of our, like this community as we are. And we should acknowledge that and include them and include anybody who's non-binary and doesn't necessarily associate or feel that their body should be labeled in that way. And, you know, like I, I, we can't, we cannot change the system if we don't collectively decide that we want to. And so really that's what it came out of. Like, you know, we're all in some way experiencing the same system of oppression, some of us more than others. And if we don't decide it's a problem together, we're not gonna get anywhere because we're gonna be all divided along all our separate problems when at the end of the day, we're, it's, this, it's iterations of the same problem. And it was hard. I think, you know, I ran ads in the winter that had gender inclusive language and we had a lot of transphobia on them. 
And so then we try to use both, both mother and birthing person, like or woman and birthing person so that people didn't feel excluded. But, you know, yeah, it's, it's, and I, I think towards like those people who, who might feel triggered when they hear birthing person. And really, I, I would ask them to question why, why are you so tied to your feminine identity as like a form of, because in some sense, like you're tied to it because it is what you associate your oppression with, right? So usually the people who are having the most problem with the language are generally white women, not always, but usually. And that's because they're, you know, the oppression that they experience on a day-to-day is directly tied to their identity as a woman. Whereas like for me, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily get the same day-to-day experiences in terms of like my gender being why I might be experiencing different treatment. And so I don't really associate my gender with what I feel most oppressed by. Usually it's race for me. Um, and so I think it really comes down to that, but I would just like ask people to really like think about why you feel like somebody should be excluded from a movement that you're also affected by. It's just, they're affected more by it, right? So why would we exclude them? <laughs> it doesn't really make sense. For sure. It just shows the complexity of, of all of this and the system and how it's not saying that, you know, an individual's not affected by it at all. It's just acknowledging that it's in a different way, as well as like acknowledging it could be at a different capacity and scale that another, because there's like multiple layers of uh, oppression that they're experiencing. So it adds more. And again, that. this is not to say that you won't have like your, none of your background finds whether or not you will have a good or a bad birth experience. It just increases the likelihood it just increases the likelihood that someone's going to mistreat you along your, your birth experience, um, particularly in a hospital setting where you don't have as much control over who you're around. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I absolutely love that. And, you know, with that, you know, as you were building BirthX and building the individuals you were working with, what were like some non-negotiables or just like, key things that you looked for in individuals you wanted to bring into the team to make sure it was like the right fit and um, that they were passionate about, you know, what was being built here? Yeah, um, I think I, I realized I, I really needed a team who felt equally as passionate about what I was doing as I did. Um, it's hard to motivate people if they don't, they're not, especially at this point in the journey, if they're not, um, you know, really into the mission. And so I realized how important that was in really picking who became part of the team. Because at the end of the day, you can teach somebody skills. You can teach some things to somebody for the first time and have them learn it, et cetera. But you can't get them to take, necessarily take the initiative if they don't care about what um, they're doing. So that became a really important factor. I think too, like I didn't really require anybody to um, have any knowledge on um, structures of oppression, but I could usually tell very quickly. And it was more important that you were open to learning, not so much that you had never heard about it before. And I think, yeah. And I think also like, you know, there have been times along this journey where people have challenged this information, challenged 
right, statistics that I got from the CDC. I don't know why you would be challenging these things, but the, the, it did happen a few times. And so it's like, yeah, this is not stuff we're gonna challenge. Like the, it's pretty grounded um, and we understand why. And um, there's not up for discussion. Like, so yeah, it was more of having an open mentality to learn, right? We're not all perfect. All of us should be continuously learning throughout our lives and growing. Um, to the best of our ability. And I think that was the more important thing than selecting somebody who ne necessarily has like the same stack of books on their <laughs> desk as I do. Um, yeah. Amazing. And, you know, along this journey of, you know, creating BirthX and where you're at now, what would you say has been like your biggest takeaway thus far? Yeah. Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I think that... I think taking, I think I, I didn't under, I underestimated the ability of taking a step back and looking at the big picture. Like it's really easy to put your head down and say, I need to do this, this, and this, like, you know, just running the task list. And, um, you know, the last few weeks, I really just had a chance to reorganize and restructure. And I, I wish I had had an opportunity to do it earlier. And I, I did try, but I, I wasn't in the right state of mind to do it. And I, um, I mean, I feel ready to like hit the ground running. I also wish I had done it so that I could see some of the mistakes I was in the process of making. I think if I had taken a step back and been um, a little bit more distant, less emotionally attached to certain outcomes. Oh, or, it's hard it, though when you know you're really like in the weeds and passionate and you just want to make that change. Like that's definitely difficult and I want to say like give yourself grace for that it was all a learning opportunity and for sure for sure but yeah but I, I'm really like I can really see a lot of um a lot now standing back and it's just it's been so good I mean there's so much growth coming and also like the things that we're talking about they can't be changed overnight so like I almost want to be like why were you in such a rush no matter you know whether something goes viral or not um it's it takes time to make change. And I think I felt like, you know, I had to make the greatest impact on as many people and in, in the shortest amount possible. Like, and really like, it actually feels just as good to meet people along their journey and just connect with them one-on-one -on -one and say that you, you know, help them realize that the provider wasn't right for them or getting feedback that, you know, the postpartum mental health workbook really helped them or whatever it was like, Sometimes that smaller scale is so much more meaningful. And I really took that for granted in the beginning. For sure, for sure. And I mean, you know, you mentioned it and, you know, I grabbed a copy as well of the workbook while I was at the expo. Do you have some recommendations um, for pregnant individuals or just like anybody kind of going through this process in terms of like tips on finding the right resources and what to look out for? Yeah. Um, I mean, having a doula who can recommend resources is always great. Like that's one of your biggest assets is to ask them for resources and recommendations, um, usually because they can pinpoint things that are directly related to the area that you live in or issues that you might encounter that frequently. But I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's more important that you learn or whatever avenue that is. We're so undereducated on what birth actually is and what it looks like and how it, it like how it functions everything we're undereducated and i'd say 
people often start educating themselves like later on in pregnancy. And I understand why being pregnant alone is just a very overwhelming experience. But I almost wish like we taught this in health class so that it wasn't the first time people were hearing it. And part of birth thought was it like that was a problem that I was trying to solve is like, how can I not overwhelm people with information, but still give it to them so that they're getting it slowly and learning it because Sometimes sitting through a childbirth ed class for a weekend is just not enough. Like there's just so much to cover. There's so much to absorb. And I have heard so many people say, I wish I had known that before I gave birth. Like, and I don't want people to say that. I want you and to there's have- there's so many ways to give birth too. It's like- there's so many ways. Yeah. If, if you don't know what your choices are, you don't have any, right? Like if you don't, you know- it sometimes a provider might forget to offer something to you that's an option and you won't know right and you won't know unless you like know to ask so it's really yeah it's you know I can't specifically say what what recommendations um or like what resources are particular for a person just because it depends again what's what they're looking for right if you want a natural birth there are a whole set of resources for that if you want the scheduled c-section there are a whole set of resources for that so it's like Again, it has to come down to what are you, what's, what's your belief system about birth and how do you want it to look? And then start learning about all the options, all the different ways it can kind of, you know, manifest itself and then decide what's, you know, make a list of absolute no's and absolute guesses and then have, you know, the ones in the middle. And usually I tell people to rank them and say like, I'm okay with this. I'm not okay with this. I'll do this first, second, third. That way you kind of, you know, you, you've thought about every possible outcome and you at least have an idea of what you're expecting, right? Mm-hmm. Can't be sure. There's no, yeah. no sure thing. Yeah. <laughs> life is unsure, right? This is just another, another way yeah. life manifests and comes into the world. But it's not fun to be caught off guard. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's so subjective in terms of like each person's experience is different. Yeah. So it's like being like informed to be able to just advocate for what you prefer is like so important. Um, And with that, it's just kind of like there's so many avenues, you know, you could get information. For me personally, what's been so helpful is honestly like social media, like finding individuals that are within that profession and talking about it. I know BirthX is on um, like Instagram. TikTok's huge right now. I'm on like pregnancy TikTok and it's... It is so wonderful. I'm learning so much because then it like prompts me when I'm like super intrigued to like go do more research. Mm -hmm. Um, So like how is... uh, Can you describe like what, you know, how do you feel about like, you know, the the pregnancy TikTok and, you know, how do you see like BirthX fitting in uh, to that platform? Yeah, I, I love like pregnancy TikTok and the birth influencers that exist there and people talking about their birth stories. Like, I think we need more of that. In some way, that is an iteration of the maternal like healthcare review platform, right? Maybe we're not taking providers themselves and rating them, but where people are talking about their birth experience so that you have realistic expectations of what it was, what's going to happen, right? And so, you know, I, 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 I can't think of a better way to gain information. Um, and again, you're not going to know what to ask if you don't get prompted, just like you were saying by something that, you know, you came across and you're like, oh, wait, I had no idea this could happen. 
no one talks about it. So how would you know? And then you went and looked up more information. I think that's a great way to do it. I, you know, I have been on TikTok. I took, I'm taking some time um, really to focus on, on development, but it's also hard for me to like be the face of something sometimes. So content creation is a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> it's yeah. You have to really own, own everything that you're saying and yeah, be there ready to, for, if you're, if a TikTok blows up, be ready to have like 3000 people <laughs> to your face or not 3000, 300,000 more like sometimes. Um, but for me, it's more important that people get the information, however you decide to get it. You know, for me, I love to read books. That's where I've learned most of my stuff, but you know, for some people, it might be on YouTube watching birth videos. It might be on TikTok, right? Um, it might be on a podcast. There are a bunch of mom podcasts, yeah. uh, you know, and BirthBot was just another iteration of like another avenue to get the info, get the education, because so many of us just don't, don't even know. Like, and I think I, I'm constantly talking to my friends who I, I always think like, you know, I've talked to them a bunch of times about birth and I'm like, there's, there's nothing I haven't covered at this point, right? If you've been in my circle for the last few years, so you've heard just about everything, but they're always, there's always something they're like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, really? You didn't know that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot to cover. Yeah. And I, I think with that too, it's like to keep in mind and, you know, to not make it, I guess, sound easy because it's, it's nothing is easy. It's like, you have to take the time, you know, you have that mental health um, workbook. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think when you are bombarded with so many avenues of information, that can cause anxiety or like feeling overwhelmed and stuff like that. So it's like, I want to make sure that we cover that as well, that that's a natural thing that can happen because yeah, there's a lot of info out there. There's a lot of info and learning how to, you know, figure out what info applies to you and what doesn't is hard, um, especially on the internet, right? You're gonna, you know, the the first Google searches are often very vanilla. They include very little information. Um, they, they answer the question oftentimes, but they don't go into much detail. And so I think like I created, I started creating some eBooks because I felt like we could have more information and I particularly wanted it to be focused on postpartum because I think there's a shortage of information and resources around postpartum. And so really it started with the postpartum cookbook that I created of like recipes I was, I was creating for my clients. And I had learned, you know, through Ayurveda, through Chinese medicine, like, and, you know, in Ecuador that after, you know, you give birth, you have a lot of cold in your body you've lost a lot of blood and you, you know, your uterus is still kind of inflated, but empty. And so you have, you know, in, in Chinese medicines, you, you have a lot of um, coldness and air and Ayurveda, it's, um, we have a vata exacerbation. So again, it's a lot of air, coldness, dryness. And so really diet around that. And I think like, there's so many different cultures. I think I've seen it in African cultures. I've seen it, you know, I, I see, I've seen it practiced in Ecuador. I've learned about it in Ayurveda and Chinese medicine, but having a warm, moist diet that is highly nutritive, like hot, you know, high amounts of uh, vegetables and um, bone broths and, you know, things that, that have lots of vitamins and minerals mm -hmm. uh, can really help you recover. 
right? Like I always, I used to always say this to my clients, but like birth is really like a marathon you didn't know you signed up for in some way. Like it's a very physically taxing thing. Um, even if you're, you know, again, even if it, your birth is a surgery, it's still very physically taxing um, because you're still carrying a baby for nine months that you created out of your own cells, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so losing all of that all of a sudden, right? And having this massive hormone drop is a lot. Um, and so I realized how much um, food can really help recovery. And then the other thing that people just are always struggling with and, and often caught off guard by is, is postpartum mental health. Um, I think in the last few years, we've, we've become, it's become easier to talk about mental health because we were, you know, in isolation and a lot of us were struggling with it. Um, but postpartum is, you know, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, they're, they're far more common than we talk about. And the same way that you would, you know, like I would have, I, I used to have a lot of anxiety and depression as a kid. And so we would do a lot of like crisis planning, like what happens when, you know, things get out of hand and we're no longer managing well, what kind of like, what are the steps, right? Who do you go to first? Um, who's going to make it better? Who's not going to make it better? What kind of activities can you do, um, et cetera. And so I really created this book out of like coping mechanisms that had helped me through my mental health in general. And then of course, just like the planning aspect, right? Like at the end of the day, if you plan for the worst case scenario, right? Which might be, um, you know, might be to the point of a psychosis or um, suicidal ideation. If you plan for the worst and you have an idea of what, would ha what you would do in that scenario, you probably have a lot of steps ahead of that to even avoid getting there in the first place. So really planning for the worst often will help you have the best outcome. Um, because if you have all those support networks, if you have somebody to call to like make you laugh, if you have someone who can come over and just pick up the house when it's making you feel like, you know, you can't live there anymore. If you, you know, need to take a nap, haven't gotten sleep in a few, you know, a few days probably, and need somebody to just watch the baby, you know, have somebody on call for that and let them know ahead of time. Let them know before the baby even comes, like, communicate your plan with the people that um, you want to be in your support network. And I, I often hear people also say like, I don't have a support network, but I always tell people, if you have people coming to a baby shower, you have a support network. You just haven't asked them to be there for you in that way. Yeah. And so we just have to, you know, sometimes people don't know how to help you, right? If you ask, it's so much easier. You know, again, this, this comes down to like how you want to be supported, but some people really want hands-on help and some people don't. And that's, you know, and if you can communicate that, then people know what to do for you. Well, definitely. And I think like too, for, you know, anybody who's like listening and unsure of where to even start, like there's, I've seen so many templates for like these types of planning. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, cause I was recently looking at like postpartum planning stuff and all the things that you probably wouldn't even think you need to plan for. Wow. And I, it's sometimes like you can get that, you know, like I suffer from anxiety and I'll get that paralysis of like, oh my God, where do I start? And you can just like search for templates to get something going even, you know? It's just, yeah, it's more important that you do the planning as opposed to like what avenue you take, you know? Definitely. And I guess like, you know, 
to kind of start wrapping things up, you know, what's like something that you hope to see change within the space? Like it could be a one major thing, a few, because like you said, there's so much to do. But like, what are some key things that like come to mind for you? I really want this information to be common knowledge, like not just among people who identify as women, people who give birth, like among everyone. In some way, I feel like we know so much about male anatomy and like the male body and like, you know, all of the studies have been done on men, but we don't know a lot about women and particularly birth. And I think part of giving agency back to everyone will be involved, like involved in learning about all the choices and options and um, how the body works. And so I do feel like it's at the end of the day, it all comes down to information and it's just making it. So it's, you know, I'd say the hardest part of that it will be making it interesting to people who don't have no interest in it. <laughs> um, but I think also repetition, right? Like, you know, maybe you don't stumble on um, pregnancy TikTok, but, um, you know, you come across it on a poster somewhere or, you know, somewhere else. And so it's like getting the information to bring the awareness about somehow. Um, because that's how the information used to be passed. It used to be common knowledge. It will be passed down to generation. And you didn't, yeah, you, there, was, there wasn't necessarily this big education that had to happen. It was just known. Or, you know, you had a woman in your family that you could ask, you know, and now we don't have that, right? My mom, when she, I have, I've asked her to retell my birth story a few times. But she, you know, the, I heard it for the first, um, the other day and for the first time she told me like, she never did skin to skin with me. And I was like, you did not at all. Like you didn't hold me for that first day. She's like, no, I mean, not the first day, but like, not until like she woke up in the middle of the night. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Right? Like, I can't believe that even happened. Um, and, you know, so like, we don't have women in our family, birthing people in our family who we can ask who had positive experiences. And I think that needs to end. Like, mm -hmm. I think that we should be having experiences where people are well-educated, that's the first step, and that people can pass on those good experiences to the, the future children. And definitely, definitely. And I mean, like, even like that story, like for your birthing story, it was like, because like I've I've also spoken with my mom and like you know my husband's mother about their experiences and when I when I tell them about like things that I'm doing they're like oh you do that now and yeah. to think like I'm I'm 33 like that much has changed yes you know yes you know yeah so so much has changed um, over and it's been this like kind of like I don't know what to call the shape a bell curve. Um, a bell curve of like, okay, so we, yeah, you know, we were birthing at home with midwives to, we were not even conscious of giving birth at like it's peak worst, worst period. And like to, you know, and, you know, only a generation ago, people weren't holding their babies up there being born. And that, that is how much, and so like, think about what can change for the next generation. If we just learn about all of our options and have yeah. better experiences. Right. Maybe the idea of birth being this terrible thing won't really exist because 
I'm not going to say it's easy. It's definitely, it's not, it does not look easy, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, I've seen a lot of really happy people after they give birth. And so, and I, I, I always ask my clients, like, how did you feel about the experience? And they're usually very happy. They're happy with mm-hmm. the outcome. They're happy yeah. with, you know, how it went. It doesn't have to be bad. Um, you know, oftentimes the, the reason people remember it as painful or, um, um, you know, unpleasant is because of the lack of support that they had during the experience, right? For sure. Uh, and where can our listeners follow along with the birth X journey? Yeah, you know, I'm pretty quiet right now. Um, <laughs> I've been, like I said, I've been totally focused on development. So I'm, I'm kind of um, hermiting a little bit, but um, certainly you can find more information on our website, you know, www.birthx.com. Um, or any of our social media platforms, they're all BirthX app, you know, either TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, you know, I'm hoping to have some movement on the chat bot by the end of the summer, and then we will start on building the review platform again, and, um, and yeah, on to next, you know, the next things. Um, It's been really an amazing process, and I just feel really lucky to, to be able to work in this space, because it's, so gratifying and yeah and like I said like I used to feel like oh if I can't change you know like a a bunch of people's lives like what's the point but at the end of the day like every time I go to Prego Expo I feel like somebody comes up to me and says something amazing that makes me feel like oh yeah you're doing the right thing like it might be taking a minute (laughs) but it's baby steps baby steps yeah Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be sure to link um, where to find Birth X on um, the podcast episode. Uh, and yeah, we look forward to talking again to hearing more about Birth X and where you've gone in the future. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moss and Friends. As always, you can connect with us further at whoismoss.com or on Twitter and Instagram at whoismoss with underscores between the words. If you know anyone that would be the perfect Moss and Friends guest or maybe a project you think we should hop in on, please reach out. We'll see you next time.